0: You're listening to the Bible teachings of Reality Church Stockton. For more info, please visit our website at realitystockton.com.
1: Every story needs an epic opening. Let's see if any of these ring a bell. It was the best of times and the worst of times. Call me Ishmael. It was a bright, cold day in April, and the clocks were striking 13. It's a deep take there. A long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. (laughs) A little more known, huh? (laughs) Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 through 2. Long ago, already epic. Epic. At many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, but in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. There are a lot of people who will search their whole lives for a message from God. They take pilgrimages, they scour the sky for some sign, they search their horoscopes. They scour a variety of religious writings from different portions of the world throughout time looking for some message, some form of communication that will assure them that the divine is real, that the divine is out there, that the divine cares about their life. Some message that will tell them who they are and what the meaning of life ought to be. But God has spoken. And that's a clear picture that we have from the very beginning of time, Genesis 1. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God spoke meaning into humanity, commissioning them to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. And God called Abraham out of Ur and into a covenant life. And God gave the covenant, the Mosaic covenant to Israel at Sinai. And God whispered to Elijah in the still small voice. And God cried out to Israel through the many prophets calling them to return to their first love in God. This is the repeated story. God's people have always lived and moved according to God's voice, God has spoken. And according to the letter of Hebrews, we have that voice as well, but here's the difference. We have that voice amplified to the millionth degree and embodied for us. He has spoken for us or spoken to us once and for all in the person of his son, Jesus Christ. The author entered into the story in flesh and blood in none other than Jesus Uh, One of our prior elders who moved away years ago tells this story. He just purchased one of those fancy leather-bound Bibles you know, with the wide margins and tells everyone that you're really serious about God and everything. And he was showing his adult son. Apparently, they have this sort of relationship. His son took it into his hands, opened it up between Malachi and the New Testament book of Matthew, and right in front of his father, just tore the page out. Handed him back the Bible and said, It's one testament, Dad. It's one testament. The Bible is one unified story that is centered on Jesus Christ from the garden to the flood, from the Passover to the Red Sea, from Mount Sinai to the promised land, from the kings and the prophets and the the priests and the poets. From the blood sacrifices to the songs of lament, from the exodus to the exile, from Genesis, all the way through to Revelation, the whole Bible is steeped in the promise of a coming Messiah who we know to be the once crucified and now forever risen Jesus Christ. It's all about him. It's all about him. And Hebrews is going to help us to see that. And what this letter uniquely does is it pulls together all of the the pictures and the patterns and the prophecies all together into one compelling vision of Jesus. If you remember as a kid doing connect the dots, Hebrews is sort of like connect the dots, where the author has assembled all of the various parts of scriptures. Oh, there's a portion from the Psalm and oh, there's a portion from Israel's history and oh, there's a portion from the prophets and so on. He's assembled all of the various parts of scripture and what we get is a clear picture of Jesus. Once we begin to trace those lines and connect the dots and follow his rationale and follow his reasoning all the way through the end and when we step back, what we realize is it's always been about Jesus. This is what God has been doing all along. And specifically, what we get is a clear picture that Jesus is better than anything and everything that preceded him and is to come. And so today, what I want to briefly do is introduce the letter of Hebrews, beginning first with the author. Who is the author of Hebrews? Now, I know the Sunday school answer. Well, the Holy Spirit, of course. We talked about this back in May in our Sola Scriptura uh, teaching. Uh, there's, we believe in the dual authorship of scripture. And so if you want more information about that, go back and listen to that sermon. We believe the big A author is the Holy Spirit. But the question then is, who is the human agency that the Lord used in inspiring the letter of Hebrews? Who was the human author? And this one's very easy for taking notes. Put author, question mark. Or if you're taking digital notes, put author and then this emoji. But there is actually a lot we can know about the author of Hebrews aside from their name. What we do know is that he loves Jesus and takes very serious the claim that Jesus is God. We know that the author is very familiar with the Hebrew scriptures and that he has a deep reverence for the written inspired word of God. Just Briefly scroll through the letter of Hebrews real quick. You see a million quotations. In fact, it seems like almost the majority of the words are in quotation. This is what he's referring to when he said God spoke to us through the prophets. Well, what did he speak? Here it is. We can also assume that he himself is of Jewish heritage because he refers to the Hebrew ancestors as our father's. And what we know is that the author is extremely pastoral. It's interesting, Hebrews is an epistle, so we treat it like another letter written to the church, like the letters of Paul, but what's unique about Hebrews is it doesn't begin like the letters we have from Paul. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God to the church in XYZ, it begins more like a sermon. This is actually more likely a transcribed sermon preached to a very real congregation or a group of congregants. So we know that the author is very pastoral. He understands the congregation. He understands the struggles that they are facing. And what I love about the author of Hebrews is he is not placing himself above the people thinking that he is somehow immune or exempt from what he's about to say. He even says right out of the gate, God has spoken to us. This is key. He speaks as one who has been spoken to. That is, by the way, the goal of every pastor, to speak as one who has been spoken to. He's one with the church and he is along with the church coming under the word of God's grace. This is the author. Secondly, let's look at the audience. Who is this being written to? This one's pretty easy. Hebrews. Are you guys with me today? (laughs) That was was a softball. That was low-hanging fruit. It is written to the Hebrews or Jewish converts. Now, a little bit of history I think will be helpful A majority of converts in the first century, by the way, this letter is being delivered in the uh, later half of the first century, a majority of first century converts were Jewish converts, which meant they were those who grew up in Judaism. They had the foundation of Judaism. They were familiar with the Hebrew scriptures but they had given their allegiance to Jesus Christ as Lord. They saw Jesus rightfully as the fulfillment of everything the Old Testament had been speaking of. But this came at a great cost. For some Christians, their conversion meant significant loss. For some, it meant losing their homes. For some, it meant losing their families. For some, it meant losing their jobs. Even for some, it meant losing their own lives for the faith, being a Christian at this time made them cultural outsiders in so many ways. And I think that this is gonna be our connection point here. To be a believer in the first century made you strange. Misunderstood. So who is the audience? This is a church under immense pressure. And because of some of the pressures that they were facing, some of these Christians were now at the point of considering walking away from faith in Jesus Christ, walking away from the Christian church. Maybe this sounds familiar as well. It's just not worth it, they thought. And so some of them began to revert back to their religious roots in Judaism, their old, familiar ways, which involved animal sacrifice, temple practices, um, the Mosaic Law, the priests who served as mediators between God and people, and so on. All of the familiar things that were sounding quite appealing at this moment for them. And these things would have, which would have certainly been more culturally appropriate at this time as well. Now, maybe none of us here today are thinking about reverting back to cultural Judaism at this moment. But here's the connection point for us. What do we do under pressure what we do under pressure is we revert. We revert back to what is familiar in our lives. We revert back to what's familiar in our upbringing. We go back to old habits. We go back to old vices. We go back to old toxic relationships. We revert back to broken patterns that are destined to fail. And maybe you are right now in this moment considering reverting. Maybe you are in the process at this moment of reverting. But the author of Hebrews is pleading with these first century Christians. And guess what? The author of Hebrews is also pleading with us today to not revert back. Do not settle for lesser things. Don't drift back towards what's familiar and comfortable, but press on toward what is better chapter three he will say hold fast to your confession and hope in jesus christ in chapter four we'll be told strive forward toward the rest that is found exclusively in jesus christ chapter four will also tell us draw near to the throne of grace to find that help and that relief that you are looking for right now in your moment of crisis And in your moment of pressure, you must turn your full attention onto Jesus. Because listen, God has no greater word for you, God has no greater comfort for you, God has no greater hope for your life your future, your family, and this world than what you already have in Jesus himself. Which leads us thirdly to the aim of this letter. Hebrews is not going to direct you to look within like so much Christian jargon in the world today. Hebrews is not going to direct you to look within to find the inner strength so that you can press on, so that you can be a better Christian. Hebrews is not going to encourage you to turn your attention to obsessing over your obstacles and obsessing over all of the conflict in your life. The author of Hebrews is going to direct you to look to Jesus and to tether your hopes completely to him, In fact, a summary verse of Hebrews is found in chapter 12 telling us this. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us doing what? Looking to Jesus, the founder and the perfecter of our faith, the beginner and the ender of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus, who brought salvation through his atoning sacrifice on the cross, who conquered sin and death through rising again on the third day, who is now ascended and seated at the right hand of God, this Jesus quite simply is better. Faith in him alone supports you in your moment of crisis, faith in him alone satisfies the deepest longings of your soul. Faith in him alone saves. Jesus supports. Jesus satisfies. Jesus saves. Can I get an amen? Amen. Long ago, many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. In our moment, This day, today, God has spoken to us through Jesus. Which means that everything that you are searching for today or forever is found in him. If you're feeling weak, Jesus is the power of God. If you're feeling hopeless, Jesus is the hope of the world. If you are weighed down by guilt, Jesus is the only source of forgiveness. If you are afraid and constantly filled with anxiety in your life, Jesus is the true source of courage. If you wonder if there is anyone in the universe that cares about your existence, Jesus is the assurance that God sees you, that God cares for you. That God loves you infinitely. If you feel disconnected from God, Jesus is the great high priest who is our mediator. If if you have mixed feelings about the church, Jesus is the head of the church and her chief shepherd. If you feel alone, Jesus is the friend of sinners. If you're lost in the dark, Jesus is the light of the world. If you're confused, Jesus is full of grace and truth. If you feel like your life is absolutely out of control, Jesus is ascended to the right hand of the Father, seated in the heavenly places, ruling and reigning over all of creation as the sovereign king. And if you feel dead inside, lifeless, with zero energy left, Jesus is the resurrection and the life. God has spoken. Can we agree at least that that is clear in the book of Hebrews? And He is continuing to speak to you now through that same message of Jesus. The question for us, reality, is will we listen? Are we going to listen? Our response, Hebrews will tell us, is that chapter two, we must pay much closer attention to what we've heard. You don't need a new word. You need the word you already heard, lest we drift away from it. When God speaks, what is our response? We must pay attention. We must pay much closer attention. And so as God speaks to us over the coming months and who knows, maybe even a year as we are in the letter to the Hebrews, we are right now committing ourselves to listen to God. What is reality going to be about over these next few months? We are gonna be about listening to the voice of God. And we are committing ourselves to respond in faith and obedience, not just as individuals, but as a church as a whole. And so for context, and this is how, this is why this morning's a little bit different. For context, what I wanna do is I want you to hear a large portion of the book of Hebrews, chapter one through chapter four, so that we have context for the smaller portions of scripture that we'll be focusing on for the remainder of the year. So I'd like to call forward Lo, who's gonna be reading the scripture. I'd like to to call forward the worship team who is gonna add some tasty notes behind the reading of the scripture. And today I want you to hear God speak to you. And I want to ask you to pay attention. And I want you to consider your response, whether or not you are going to drift or you're going to press on. Consider your response. Is it doubt or is it believe? Is it give up or is it hold fast to him? Hear the word of the Lord.
0: Um, If you would like to open your Bibles to the New Testament letter to the Hebrews, you can follow along with me and hear the word of the Lord. Long ago, at many times, and in many ways, God spoke to our Father by the prophets, but in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God. has anointed you with oil of gladness beyond your companions. And you, Lord, laid the foundations of the earth in the beginning, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will all wear out like a garment. Like a robe, you will roll them up. Like a garment, they will be changed. But you are the same, and your years will have no end. And to which of the angels has he ever said, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet? Are they not all ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation? Therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. For it was not to angels that God subjected the world to come, of which we are speaking. It has been testified somewhere, What is man that you are mindful of him, or the son of man that you care for him? You have made him for a little while lower than the angels, and you have crowned him with glory and honor, putting everything in subjection under his feet. Now, in putting everything in subjection to him, he left nothing outside of his control. for he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one source. That is why he is not ashamed to call them brothers, saying, I will tell of your name to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation, I will sing your praise. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, behold, I and the children God has given me. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is, the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. For surely it's not the angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God, to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Therefore, holy brothers, you who share in the heavenly calling, consider Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession, who was faithful to him who appointed him, just as Moses was also faithful in all of God's house. For Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses As much more glory as the builder of a house has more honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. Now Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant, to testify to the things that were to be spoken later. But Christ is faithful over God's house as a son, and we are his house if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting and our hope. For who were those who heard and yet rebelled? Was it not all those who left Egypt led by Moses? And with whom was he provoked for 40 years? Was it not those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest? But to those who were disobedient, See, we see that they were unable to enter because of unbelief. Therefore, For he has somewhere spoken of the seventh day in this way, and God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again in this passage he said, they shall not enter my rest. Since therefore it remains for some to enter it, and those who formerly received the good news failed to enter because of disobedience, again he appoints a certain day, today, saying through David so long afterward, in the words already quoted, today if you hear his voice, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. No creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him whom we must give account. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. Jesus, the son of God, let us hold fast our confession
1: I just want to pause and just give some time to consider the words that we've heard. Maybe that this was the longest portion of scripture you've ever heard in one sitting. Uh, Maybe there were things that didn't make sense initially. Maybe there were things that stood out to you. Um, Maybe there were things that immediately the Holy Spirit brought conviction. Uh, Maybe there are things that you just absolutely needed to hear this morning. I just want to give some time, unhurried space, to just reflect and dwell and meditate upon the word of the Lord that's been spoken.